From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Groundsman Conversations. Joining us shortly, a special guest with whom we will have that conversation. But in the meantime, you are stuck with me and my two fellow groundsmen, Roger Mitchell and Giles Morgan. Giles, how are you, my friend? Hi, guys. It's been a while. I'm very chuffed to be back on. I've sort of been um, all over the place, really, um, and um, shivering in sort of a Baltic mess that is the UK. It's very nice to be at home and, and with you, my chums. And, well, it's good to have you back, my friend. Good to have you back. Uh, Roger, come in, mate. You're still there. I'm still here. Uh, still struggling a little bit with this uh, cold stroke COVID. Got a little bit of a hacking a cough. Flu. Yeah, so uh, hopefully I get through this. I've got my puffer and I've got my water. Roger, I can see that, because um, I can see, obviously, with this is now, we've joined the 21st century, we've got video. You've got a very smart new haircut. Is this ready for your publicity shoot for the, for the new no, book? No, no, I've just, I've just a, had a, you're looking a shower. very polished. Very, just had a, just had oh. a shower. Yeah. <laughs> Needed to wake oh, up a little bit. you very polished. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm picturing the, um, the photo shoot for your book, Rog, uh, something like the photo shoot for David Brent's uh, yeah, yeah. single, if you don't know me by now. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> The white, the white suit, yeah, the black yeah, shirt, yeah, yeah. the billowing <laughs> curtains. Absolutely. All now. How's everything going with the book? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's where we're getting, it's all the logistics now, the logistics and the marketing. So I've kind of left it and um, yeah, it should be ready pretty soon. Jolly good. Jalo, what were you about to blunder in there with? <laughs> well, I was just going to give Roger a hint on a pose for, for doing a book. I, was, I met a, quite a well-known author once who they, they put their hand like that and they just balance it on their chin. It gives a sort of learned expression, I think. Oh, Rog, you mean on the back of the cover? That um, uh, Jacobo yeah, yeah, did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, Jacobo did that. So uh, it's, it's a caricature. Well, you are a caricature or, of yourself. It's perfect. Or, or, or is it, Rog? How will we ever know the difference? How will we ever know yes. the difference? Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we, we, the, we, we normally have a lot of things to talk about, but today there is only one. There is only one. This is like the Highlander episode. There's only one thing we can possibly talk about today, and that, uh, and that is the world of golf. It's something we've, we've talked about a lot over the last, what, year or so, I guess. It's, it keeps coming back, keeps coming back. And this week we've seen, um, we have seen uh, arguably, I would say, the biggest uh, move of the whole thing. I, I, to me, this is even bigger than the initial uh, move when you know, DJ and those guys joined. For them to get John Rahm is, uh, is a sea change, I think, in, in the whole thing. What do you, what do you think of that, Jilo? I couldn't agree more in terms of particularly the whole European status. I think for Ryder Cup, which was clearly one of the, the pieces that the DP world were holding out about, you know, try and prevent um, any further movement because you don't want to move, miss your Ryder Cup thing. And whether they're going to change that rule or not, not having Ram suddenly changes the, the balance of, of absolutely everything. And I think the battle lines, which we thought there was a truce in, in June, it's very muddling reading the media, and I think that the journalists themselves are quite muddled by 
the, the kind of the battle lines that are being drawn. Um, I think it was a huge moment for, for, for the intention of, of what Liv are planning and where they want to go. So um, it's been the most extraordinary. I don't think soap opera is quite the right expression, but the, the, the game that I left um, when I was working um, all those years in, in professional golf, sort of finishing 2017, 2018, is unrecognisable in terms of what may come and what what looks ahead, and it feels that Liv have started to um, to, to push ahead in the, in the horse race. If that's not a ghastly uh, ghastly metaphor, Roger, you, I can see you just itching to say no, something. There. No, I don't. I, I want to keep my powder dry a little bit. Um, you know, I, I agree with you, Grant. I think this is this really is the crossing the Rubicon, and there's no going back now. So, you know, I've got a million questions about what all that means, you know, practically. Um, but, you know, I'm going to keep them for Eddie because I think, you know, Eddie's um, always been very vocal on this. He did an excellent podcast himself, uh, uh, The Chipping Forecast. Um, and, you know, let's be honest, you know, it affects him more than it affects any of us. So, you know, I don't want to be opining too much, you know, from the ivory tower. I prefer to, you know, wait to get him come on. I just think it's going to be an amazing 2024. What amazes me still, um, given what happened in June, is still how very personal for some of the players this is. And I noted McElroy's tweet about uh, Henrik Stenson and saying how vital it was that Stenson had not been made captain. Um, and clearly Luke Donald done a brilliant job and was a brilliant captain. And, and I get that. If Rory really meant that, that's a pretty unpleasant thing to say because Henrik Stenson in good faith was a a fantastic Ryder Cup player. He's not the first player to have to made the move. And for Rory to go in like that is um, is in your parlance is a is a two two footed challenge, um, and that to me just doesn't feel it, it, that again feels like a long way from the game of golf and what it should all be about, which demonstrates the real bile that still seems to exist. And as you guys know, I was out in. Dubai at the beginning of the year and it doesn't matter which players I was talking about but I was really shocked how great friends and people who'd been on tour for a long time have not spoken since this has created enmity on a level that it's so sad in fact for the game because friendships are friendships um, but it just demonstrates that this schism is not a media thing this is this is the real deal and we've still got a long way to run well look, it's true and you know coming back to Eddie you know Eddie uh, at the beginning of all this, had a falling out with Laurie Cantor, and he and Laurie were, were great friends. But you know, they've put that behind them, and they've you know they've they've rekindled that friendship. And you know, whilst the the live thing is still there, obviously they've managed, as people should be able to put that to one side. It shouldn't change friendships. I mean, you know, it's people do what's best for them, and and that's ultimately it. And I think you know, for me. The biggest problem I have, I don't care that John Rahm wants to go and earn half a billion dollars playing golf. I mean, good luck to him. It's the, it's the it's the fake. I want to grow the game. Of, you know, I don't know if anybody remembers reading Harold Varner's announcement when he went to live. Um, you know, he basically said, "Look, I'm a poor kid from South Carolina. I never thought I'd have the chance to make this money for my family." And blah blah. And I've not read a single negative piece about Harold Varner because he owned it. He said, "Listen, this is more money than I ever thought I'd ever get." 
paid. It's a chance to secure my family for generations to come. And, you know, we're ours as a family that's never had any money. So I'm going to take it and go. I just wanted to use this opportunity, and it may feel a bit incongruous, this, but when you think about the sort of noble game of golf, and you and I, Grant, in particular, talk about nobility in sport and, and how it can be important and that's something that matters to, to probably to many sports people. I, I note today or the last few days that Sid Miller, one of the great British Lions coaches, passed away aged 89. And the reason I bring that up is I'm now very involved with the British Lions, as, as our listeners know. But what struck me is that um, tradition and I mean the tradition of spirit about how teams play together, how sports should be played in the right way. He was a fierce lawmaker. He was the coach that made the 74 Lions um, become the team that they are, which was you know, in, in memory, along with 71 and 74, that have created, if you like, a mystique about the British and Irish Lions that exists to this day. And that was about Sid, who played three t- he on three tours himself for the Lions. He was a hard, hard man who probably more influential about the laws of the game, the future of the game. He ran world, well, the International Rugby Board in his time. And how far golf has come is is really where I was going with this one. I remember in the days of the Peter Dawsons of this world that the sport had regulation and it had a control of itself. Now, we all know commercially the game has moved on golf, but the spirit and tradition and how people conduct themselves, that seems to have gone awry. And and it's it's sad for me that, and I can't wait to speak to to Eddie about that as well, because golf actually... um, for so many businesses that invest the huge amounts of money that the game is requiring. It's the tradition and the heritage, which is probably the most important values that people are looking to seek to to, to borrow from that investment. And golf doesn't have much of that at the moment, and it needs to watch that. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And Eddie has been... As, as is typical of him, so erudite when he's talked about this. You know, I listened to that chipping forecast the other day and, you know, what he said had so much sense to it. And and he's been consistent all the way through, right? There's a consistency to Eddie, both to the stand he takes and to his his critical thinking and his, his willingness to kind of look into things beyond perhaps the, the headlines that is so important right now. And there are a few people, I think, in the world of golf that do a better job of articulating um the kind of torment that's tearing the game apart than Eddie. So I'm, I'm so happy that uh, that he's found the time to join us this week. So um, what do you say we bring him in? Thanks for having me back on. Um, how, how are you all? We are, we, are, we are well, and we are obviously now looking up at you in the podcast charts, I'm pretty sure, with the chipping forecast. Yeah, so congratulations on the success of really that. Good. It's, a ter- it's a terrific product, it really is. Well, thanks. It's the only thing that I'm doing uh, anything good at, I think, at the moment. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, matey, listen. We've had a we've had a, a an epic week, um, or has, has it been a week? I don't even it's been a week yet, has it? Um, since the big uh, John Rahm decision, and uh, we've all been batting this backwards and forwards. And I know Rog zipped you a message to say, "Would you come and talk about it?" I mean, you, you, Ian, and Andrew did a terrific job. I thought of talking about it in your emergency chipping forecast on uh, whatever day it was, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, but let, let's let's just get a sense from you of the importance of this. We've kind of waxed on and off about it, but as Rog said, it's a lot more important to you than it is to us. So uh, curious to, after having a few days to reflect on it, how important is it, first of all, for the game of golf, do you think? I think it's 
it's um, maybe hit the kind of depressing stage for a lot of people, um, maybe myself included. I, I kind of felt that way certainly two weeks ago when I heard the rumours coming out of Dubai, which um, actually seemed as though they had a lot more substance this time around with John. So, uh, you know, for it to actually happen, it was, of course, disappointing, but not surprising. Um, but listen, I, ju I just think that golf is in a professional golf, men's professional golf is in this state of huge, enormous flux, change, disruption, call it what you want. And like any business, when it's going through this, it's very, it feels very difficult. And, um, you know, it is hard to see the value in it at the moment for, for the fans, of which I would certainly consider myself one or considered myself one, increasingly less so. And, and you know, I, I'm just seeing that kind of sentiment echoed so often at the moment even from people who I know love the sport and write about the sport, they they feel as kind of um, just dispirited, I suppose, as I sort of do about the way the game of professional golf is headed and the fact that, yeah, maybe money, it's always been about money to some degree, but it's just so egregiously about money now that um, it's frankly off-putting. And, and I felt that way quite early doors with Liv. I think Liv has taken it to the, to the stratosphere, that kind of... Uh, direction and um i just hope that it ends but it, it isn't going to end anytime soon and and it isn't going to end without a bang so um you know it we'll, we'll see where that goes ed how much of this do you think is down to the leadership because i've got to say as i sit here and look keith pelly to me has been i haven't seen as much about him because obviously this is not as much about the dp world tour as it is the pga tour but from what i've seen of jay monaghan um yeah, if if I'm looking to apportion blame into how this has gone so horribly wrong, it seems for the PGA Tour, I'm laying the blame squarely on his shoulder. I think he's he's been invisible. He's he's let the players down with the PIF announcement back whenever it was uh, halfway through the year. Um, what, what's the feeling amongst the players in terms of where to apportion the blame for this? Do you think? Well, I'm not entirely sure as it comes with it when it comes to Jay and the American players, but from an outsider, which I, I am really um, looking in from the PJ Tour side of things, he's clearly made two quite big mistakes. The first one was not even having the discussion just to get an idea, a better idea of the actual intentions that Liv had. And that could be for a number of reasons. I suspect that to some degree arrogance due to the the fact that he's American and the PGA Tour had this kind of monopoly of power on the game of professional golf. And, you know, like we all know, we spend a lot of time in and around Americans. We know the way they can think. And I think that that's come to haunt, come back to haunt Jay and the PGA Tour. The world is changing, not just in golf. And the world is moving away from being dominated by America. And golf is probably no different. So I think that's the first mistake he made. The second mistake, which I actually think is the biggest mistake he's made, was what happened in June. Because the announcement almost made it, to the players anyway, listen, we're going to, we're agreeing to do some sort of deal with them. We're going to come together. It kind of opened the doors, I think, to players like John Rahm and other players who are rumoured to go, like Tony Finau and Tyrrell Hatton, players who frankly had been very loyal up until that point. And I, and I, and I honestly think if it, if it had remained an us against them for longer, I'm not sure John Rahm would have jumped ship. Uh, I really believe John when he said what he said. The problem is it, it no longer became us and them. And, and I know that's an, not a very nice thing to have to, world to have to live in because we all want to cooperate. But ultimately it does just highlight again cooperation in this space at the moment is there's far too many pieces of the puzzle that can be put together for there not to be this fractious um what we're seeing so i think he's made two glaring errors and um 
that would be my feelings towards Jim on hand. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure there will be some repercussions moving forward for him. Eddie, we first met when I had a, a sponsor's hat on and, and the world looked very different. The world of professional golf looked very different back in those days. The tours were clearly defined. There was a structure, there was a calendar and the golf fan broadly knew what was what. Clearly everything's changed now. Bit of an unfair question this, but if, if you were pitching, we, we talked about um, the, the allure of golf. If you were, golf still requires big sponsors to come in to underwrite an awful lot of it. And the price tag just gets going higher and higher and higher. Clearly Live don't, that's less their concern. But for the rest of the sport, the PGA Tour put an enormous additional value to try and get the, get, keep the big events going. How would you pitch golf now to people now, right now, in terms of from a from a sponsor's point of view? What 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 is it that the golf fan gets from the sport, or do you think is that part of your depression? You just at the moment can't see a way through it for for now. Well, I mean, it's it would be difficult for me because I, I I'm not getting anything from the sport. Uh, so for me to say to somebody, you know, you're going to get this that's going to be positive. I, I'm struggling to see it myself. I have no interest in watching Live, and that's even if John Rahm goes. And this has been the one thing that's been interesting for me to realize throughout this whole process is some of my favorite golfers are on Live, and yet I've not tuned in. So actually, I'm less of a follower of the golfer than I thought I was. And it, and it just shows that the actual system and the structures that underpin a sport, I think, are far more valuable. And actually, even if you go back to the pandemic, that was the one thing that high, was highlighted to me anyway. During the pandemic, we took systems and things for granted that were far more fragile than I think any of us realized. And so these things take decades to build, the European Tour, the PGA Tour. And, and they, they're not successful just because they're successful. I mean, they're successful for a number of important and intrinsic reasons, and that's why we value them. And I don't think at the moment professional golf is respond is is no it no longer reflects those values that it used to uh, that, that dr- brings people into the sport and myself would be included in that. So, you know, I, I do think there is an opportunity, however, moving forward for the PGA Tour, it's going to require them to be a lot more open minded and think globally uh, as to creating a product that's going to have to start looking very different to try and attract those sponsors and fans, as you say, moving forward, Giles. And I actually think, given what's just happened last weekend in the Grant Thornton, with the inclusion of the women and having myself been part of events, I just think now that we're going to have to start thinking way more outside the box as a sport. If if in two and three years' time, we need to be getting the John Rams back to um, something that looks like that because they are going to have that decision in two or three years' time, the John Rams of the world. But So, Eddie, as a, as a follow-up, what was your view or what has been your view on, on TGA, TGL Golf clearly trying to really disrupt to have another go? I know that the roof fell in, which may be metaphorical, it may be apposite, and it maybe it'll come back and, you know, I, I wish them well. It's, it's, it's bad luck, all of that. But what was your view on that as a – what is your view as that as a, as a goal for that kind of approach to an entirely different product effectively again I, I i probably wouldn't have watched it but i don't think it was designed for people like me to watch uh it was something that's entirely different trying to bring in a new demographic and actually when you compare it to live which i think i suppose is probably the best comparison to make it, it's it's quite different isn't it and and i could see how it could be successful um you know and and importantly the tgl 
as back to Rory's point, was ancillary to the PGA Tour. It was always in addition to you know the fundamental traditional structures of golf, not trying to want to do away with that. So uh, although I wouldn't have tuned in, most probably, Giles, I don't think it necessarily would have failed, um, not in the way that Liv is, I think, clearly failing um i don't think that's a controversial statement uh but you know what i guess i guess i was trying to think about this yesterday um something wise to sort of say and i wondered if and you all know this a lot more than me you three guys but you know businesses like all there's a life cycle of everything and there are just moments within there are cyclical moments if you like within the big picture where every business and every industry seemingly faces these moments where they're vulnerable and and that's when you just need great leadership and that's the thing that's i do think's been lacking in these last two years because you needed you you the sport is always going to remain if it didn't then there would be new sports every five years there's always going to be difficult moments in a sport we've seen it with formula one and we've seen the way it's you know used social media and netflix to its advantage but we can bet our bottom dollar in the next five to 10 years, they'll go through something similar again. And that's the natural life, the cycle within the life cycles. And I just think we've failed as an industry and we've and obviously livers come about TGLs now coming in and all of these things. And it's just making me think, what does professional golf actually even look like anymore? It certainly doesn't look like anything that I remember it looking like when I first came out, but maybe I've rambled there, not made a lot of sense. I agree with that. And one of the other sports that Rog talks a lot about that feels that might be having um, challenging times is tennis. And so many sports, one of the things that they've always been vulnerable to is the, 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 the very many different tendrils of leadership and different pockets of influence. And I remember back, back in the day, if you wanted to get the leadership of golf round for dinner, you needed to sort of invite 24 people round in their blazers to try and have any sort of sense because some Someone was in charge of the Olympics and someone was in charge of this and someone was in charge of that. And then you've got two sets of rules, people, and you've got all of this chaos with everybody on a different agenda. And it meant that that leadership, as you're talking about, when um, there was a threat coming from externally, existentially, meant that there wasn't uh, uh, there wasn't that kind of phalanx that you'd have, say, with take a Roman legionary, not pulling together all the shields, all the spears up saying we will protect, we will protect ourselves. It was an unprotected um, sport and it's paying the consequence now. No, Giles, you say that, but, you know, golf with the PGAs, um, they've got a relatively simple, a relatively simple uh, governance structure. I, I agree fully with Grant, as, as you would expect me to, that I think the leadership has been horrendous um, there's two there's two failings and, and Eddie alluded to them one is that what I call the lack of paranoia you know only the paranoid survive um, this was always coming and they should have been much more ready um, that complacency is all through sport and, and maybe golf most of all um, the second one was uh, giving away as Eddie very correctly says the, the card the, the strongest card you've got Instead of playing the Saudi bad guy card, which, by the way, is still out there, um, they should have been playing the, the positive of the PGA, which is, as I see it, it, it is a band of brothers, a band of brothers who have got a, a commonality of struggling to qualify, to go on a tour, making a living of it and maybe excelling. Um, that, that was the strongest card that the tours had. And, you know, the minute he announced that deal, 
then he threw that away, as Eddie very correctly said. So much so, Eddie, that my question to you is that, because I know that you're a very, very clever guy and you will have thought about this. Do you think that the, the, the supposed deal in the summer, uh, the merger, whatever you want to call it, was in fact just a tactic of Saudi to get the PGA to come to the table and then go to Ram the next day and say, look, you know, you can see what they are doing. You might as well come to us now. Was that not just classic game theory? Uh, possibly. I mean, I'm not sure we'll ever know. I, I, the, the reason I would maybe doubt that would be uh, initially there was a clause within it that, that uh, didn't allow them to poach any players, right? So, you know, conversations with John certainly wouldn't have started happening until quite, I would say, a couple or two to three months after that agreement. I, I, I do think as well that fundamentally... The, the framework agreement, you know, it did serve both sides in that there was not going to be any discovery for the Saudis within the legal case. And also, you know, we don't know there are rumours if you follow Phil Mickelson, then certain things weren't going to be discovered as well from the PJ Tour side. So, you know, it certainly reduced costs, legal costs anyway, which were obviously well, well into the billion. So I think it served both sides that coming towards that uh, framework agreement. But um, yeah, that would be my feedback or my feelings on that, really. Ed, let, let, let's talk a little bit about, about money. I mean, it's something that we have to talk about with Liv. And, um, you know, I, for me, I, I'm given, and again, I, as you said, I don't think it's a controversial statement. I agree with you. Given the failure of Liv to generate momentum around anything other than the outsized checks they're writing, you know, the, the, the viewing figures are, are paltry, the coverage is awful, um, you know, the Adelaide week was supposedly amazing and they played all uh, all around that and said what a great environment it was and then they went to Singapore the next week and it was Singapore and, it, and obviously everyone went very quiet so all we really have to talk about is the money a uh, couple of things firstly uh, I'm I was really surprised at them putting the kind of money up for John Rahm that they did because that once again moves the bar and I think you made this point beautiful and you were talking to Ian and Andrew about how they're going to have to They've now reset the bar for every other golfer that's going to want to join. Ram is now the the the, the, the benchmark, and Till Hatton's going to go. Well, you know, I'm I'm probably worth twenty well, percent less than John Ram, so I'm going to, you know, that's the kind of money I'm going to want, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everyone's going to peg themselves off Ram. But you just came back from Australia, and you played down there um, in front of what I can only imagine because I wasn't there. Obviously, Aussie crowds, which are fantastic at every sporting event you get down in Australia. They've always had this chip on their shoulder that the big stars wouldn't go down to Australia. And if I'm right, the winner of the Australian Open got something like 250 grand or something out of a prize pot of 1.7 million. So the, the, the point you made about the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour combining and coming up with a genuine world tour of golf seems to me the only viable way forward at this point in time. It does mean the Americans swallowing some of that you know, American-centric pride. But if you can have the kind of crowd you have in Australia without the marquee players and the guys are down there playing for that kind of money, you've got to think there's a chance to bump that prize money up to $4 million, which is still peanuts compared to the US, and get real world players down there and, and take Greg Norman on at his own game and build a truly global world tour. Yeah, so I think events in Australia should form part of what I think should now happen, and that is that everyone outside of live needs to just come together and create um, 
let's say a tour where there's 20 to 25 events outside of the majors that travel around the world. And, and they're, you know, they're going to be playing for upwards of $10 million. You know, I, I would, it needs to be economically attractive, right? Still to the guys. I mean, I'll tell you quite honestly, I wouldn't have gone to Australia if my flights and hotels weren't paid for by the sponsors for four of us. And that's just the reality because it's so expensive. And, but so, so there always need, there's always going to be an economic decision, right? I'm not denying that. Uh, and that's, that's certainly not the point I'm trying to make with, with live, but, um, it, you know the product that needs to happen moving forward. If you did take a, if if you had a, a you know let's call it a PGA Tour event, but remove the name. Let's just assume this is this new tour, and, and one of their 25 events or two of them are in Australia back to back weeks, and Rory's down there, and Jordan Spieth's down there, and Jason Day and Adam Scott, and they're all down there. That's taking Greg Norman on, and and. To your point, given the fans that I just saw two weeks ago in Sydney or last week in Sydney, they were incredible. I mean, truly incredible. And I took a picture. It reminded me of Augusta. Uh, and, you know, we all know how great it is down there with the sport. So um, the Americans, you know, the PGA Tour have it within them to, I think, try to facilitate something that could look like that. It's, but whether they do it or not, you know, we'll wait and see. But um, And to your point about the John Rahm thing with the money, you know, if, if Liv was such a success, you wouldn't need to pay John Rahm half a billion dollars to go. You know, they would be jumping ship for a lot less. And and, and that's the point. And so, yeah, you know, it's where do they go from here? I don't know. But um, Eddie, I, I, three years ago, two, three years ago, maybe four before before COVID, if you went down to uh, to Jacksonville, to Ponte Vedra, the amazing headquarters of the PGA Tour, it would be it would be possible to think that you joined a sort of giant Truman Show capsule where the world existed in a vast biosphere that sort of covered Ponte Vedra, and that's where every decision was made and nothing else mattered. I, there was a deep arrogance that the world of golf centered around this one one small part of uh, of Florida. From what you know and the conversations you have on the chipping forecast and your friends within the game. Has there been a sense of humility? Has there been a sense that um, the PGA Tour need to um, perhaps look to themselves to see how they can humbly try and get things back? Or, or is that with a vast new building at the great expense that I was told that, you know, how proud they all were, that hundreds of millions of pounds have been, of dollars have been spent? Has anything changed? I don't know the answer to that question, Giles, but I'm just trying to think about the the Americans that have gone across to live, I don't think there's been one yet that's made the compelling argument or has made the comments that would really jolt Jay Monaghan and go, oh, fuck, you know, I've really messed up. Because even the fact that Phil Mickelson, you know, and his comments, he's not the guy to make Jay Monaghan sit up and realise. But somebody like Jordan Spieth would be, and he's not gone. So I do think the quintessentially American players who you know, I would say have their heads and hearts in the right place when it comes to professional golf. By and large, those guys haven't jumped ship. The international players that have jumped ship, you know, I mean, they've gone for a number of different reasons, money being the main one, but then also maybe a sense of dissatisfaction with the way the PGA Tour represents them. You know, and you could be talking about the South American golfers, you could be talking about the Australian golfers, you could possibly even talk about John Rahm, although I wouldn't buy that given that he lives in America. So, you know, I... And he's so affiliated with, with America. So um, I, I don't think there's been that player go yet, Giles, that really makes them sit up and, and think. But 
it could be coming. And and if John Rahm or someone was able to articulate it in such a way that made that made him sit up. But the problem is, and this is again Liv's problem, is that because the money is so large, you know, if Phil Mickelson had have gone for twenty million dollars, it might it would have been a completely different story. But there isn't a single player that would have gone for not a lot of money. You know, and this is why, you know, and this again, it, it hasn't quite translated over. So there's that kind of great divide between, I think, you know, make, making somebody like Jay Monahan sit up and uh, and the other, the other side. Rog, can I can I ask you a question? Um, so I'm not sure this is being rude to our guest, Eddie, but forgive me if it is, Ed. But Rog, uh, let me, you're the, you're the kind of cold-eyed, steely-nerved bastard amongst the three of us. So you let me mean, put you, you mean the one that's always right? You mean of, the one that's always right? That's what you really mean. <laughs> you, say, you say potato, I say potato. No. But um, let me put you in the position of the Saudis, right? You the are Saudis. Yasir right now. You're sitting there and you've got Ram, right? You've had to pay through the nose for him, but you've got him. You've got the PGA Tour on the ropes, but you still have a massively inferior product that hasn't caught on like you probably hoped it would by now. You've talked openly about it having to make a return. Um, you know, in Shipnook's book, he, there's a lot of time devoted to how Yasser has said that this has to make a, an economic return at some point. What's your next move? You don't need to do anything at this point. Um, you know, what's that phrase? Uh, when your opponent is fucking up, don't interrupt him. Something like that. I don't think that's exactly what Sun Tzu said, but <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. I mean, like, <laughs> just come back to what Eddie's saying. If Jay Monaghan hasn't got any idea of how badly he's handled this doesn't have any shame doesn't go back and say oh dear how could I have done things different then there's no there's no hope there really isn't any hope that he'll have the humility to get to with the DP World Tour and the Asian Tours and come up with something um because you know they're, they're, going, they're all going to leak away now I would turn your question around Grant and say why wouldn't you go to live now if you're a major player the only reason is the loyalty one which is beautifully glorious but Jay has taken that away because he doesn't deserve loyalty that's that's the bottom line loyalty is a two way street he doesn't deserve loyalty and that that is I, that's how I interpret what Ram did Ram was solid solid as a rock and then he says look I, these people don't deserve my loyalty I'm just going to look after number one now and 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 the, the others will go to it. So to answer your question, they don't need to do anything. The PGA is dead. It, it really is. It, it's dead. You know, all the... T- See, I, I, I don't buy that, Roger. I why? don't buy that. I think, I think it can... Because, I'll tell you for why. I'll tell you for why. Because with Tiger and Spieth and Rory all kind of energised by this, the, the end of Monaghan could be around the corner. Monaghan could be kicked out in a heartbeat and you're going to have player power dictating what happens and I think the players will get behind the players I think if the players are running the ship and they have more votes now on the executive board than the the, the suits I think this could turn around very quickly which is why I'm thinking if I'm yes sir, I don't just sit there and wait now for the bodies of my enemies to float by or whatever the quote was I actually have to do something now I've got to apply the coup de grace because if I don't get them while they are weak to your point this could turn around very, very quickly. The PGA Tour, if they get the I don't see American that. Money, I, they I don't Jay see no, that. No, 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 I, I know you don't. I don't see that. I know Grant. you don't. It's like, you know, it's like that famous uh, phrase from the film Rounders, you know, the one with poker, uh, KGB Malkovich and, and, and Matt Damon. John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if you've got the biggest stack, 
Um, all you have to do is just gently lean on the other guy and they'll fall over eventually. You know, Liv's got the biggest stack now. It's, it's got the biggest stack and, and you know, the idea, and, and this is really interesting point, uh, Eddie's right when he says, uh, you know, the TGL was uh, uh, um, ancillary, it was extra. But when the PGA as the, 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 the host, the, the, the mother, the mothership, if you will, is so crippled, you can't afford to have another distraction, you know, and, and you know, I, I just think you think what's left in the PGA Tour, they don't have the majors. They don't have all those stars. They've got their top stars fanning around on a simulator. What's the product? The John Deere with with half with half a hand, you know, like I'll just splash the pot, you know, to come back to the same analogy. And this, none of this makes me happy. And you know this, Grant. None of this makes me happy. Uh, my, my anger is with, as always, the leaders of the sport who really had a monopoly, and all they had to do was show a bit of humility, listen, and there would be no live. There would be no live, and they didn't. And it's the same in tennis and it's the same in FIFA. And, and, you know, my question to you, Eddie, now is this one, you know, and again, it's with an enormous amount of sadness. You know, whatever is left, you made the point there about if not for the sponsor paying the tickets. How many really good, decent, professional golfers now are going to have to be sitting around the table speaking to their wives or their husbands uh, and saying, look, I'm not sure I can make this work anymore because the prize money's all coming down? Well, at the moment, no one needs to have that conversation. And, and it's this, you know, it could be the, um, what's the uh, Coyote, the Coyote, Wally Coyote thing. You know, I'm saying it wrong, but, you know, when he's walking off the uh, cliff and he does, you know, he's about to fall, but he doesn't. That's exactly that at the moment. I do think we're in that stage of men's professional golf. I, I think the the coming down of prize funds is, is inevitable because we're at this unsustainable point. But ultimately at the moment, because of agreements that are in place, whether between the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour or the continued backing that the PGA Tour has and the reserves they have and obviously lift, there's still a lot of money sloshing around in the world of professional golf and a great living to be had and don't get me wrong, an unbelievable opportunity, which is ironic given the way I feel and, and I suspect a number of other professionals feel about their sport, uh, this kind of apathy and almost resentment towards it to some degree. They don't quite add up, but they they do point to something that's you know obviously there. Um, I think what worries me, back to the, go back to the sponsors, is is what the long-standing honourable sponsors in the game do. The companies like Rolex, the BMWs, of course, Charles was at HSBC. The, the big companies that have always supported golf through thick and thin, and, and certainly since I've been on tour and since way before that, I worry what they do in the next five years because every other company is obviously going to become – you know, it's prone to the business cycle. And, and as we all probably would agree, that that's going to become more challenging moving forward. And so they're going to have to make decisions that reflect that, that Liv don't have to make just yet. So I, I, when you add that into the world of professional golf, the state of it all, how it looks, I, I do worry what, what companies like Rolex and the executives at companies like that are thinking at the moment. And, and, and the point I made earlier is that's one of the things that concerns me most of all is that what golf has always been able to fall back on as a, well, amateur and professional sport is about the values of the game and about that we all learn to play the game with honesty, integrity, trust, all of those things, which are sponsors are mad keen to associate with those traditional values. That, that's the metaphor that they want to have. And unfortunately, 
the last two or three years, it's not the, 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 the leaders of the professional game have not conducted themselves in that integrity that sponsors want. And therefore, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the big old traditional sponsors, as you say, of the game are looking around going, look, we need our North Star. We're, we're in the business of doing what we do. We make cars, we make watches, we make we sell financial service products, whatever it may be. What we're trying to do is borrow something else to prove that we are honourable, we are exceptionally international, we are all of those things that golf has been able to say really unapologetically for years and years and years from the years of the Nick Klaus and the Tom Watsons and all of those kind of great players. That doesn't feel like that. It just feels, to, as you use the word egregious, that's what it feels like now. It feels like a greedy man's sport, not an honourable one. Yeah, and, and, to, and to go back to Roger's point about strategy, you know, I think if there is a strategy that's grand here because of the money Liv have got, what, what ultimately I think happened and probably what happened in June with the PJ Tour reflects this is there comes a point where, you know, what's the alternative? And and there, I think what will end up happening, and it's already happened to some degree, is we'll just end up falling back to the Saudi money because it's the only money that's still there. And, and so when you get a market that that's the reality, which I think professional golf is maybe heading in that direction, it's a very sad state of affairs. And because the cash pile is just so large, they can afford, that's the, that could be the grand strategy. You know, it's a, it's a, a sad one, um, but you know, maybe they, they can be aggressive when they need to be. But know that, that reflexively, the world of professional golf from a funding standpoint is just going to have to fall back on them because they've distorted the market to such a degree because they could afford to do that. Um, that that's that's you know what does sadden me and it's always saddened me with this and i and i listen none of us really know where it's going to end up and have ever known but i do think from the early days it was that kind of distortion that was all i always found just so upsetting and uncomfortable with live money uh, frankly eddie I, th- I think that is the key to this um i, I don't have any of jay monahan's xenophobia toward saudi because like you i know how per how uh, omnipresent they are in everything to do with our our world and our financial capital markets. So I, I don't have any of that. However, however, I believe I, I, I'm a, a, a sport lover much more than appears on the outside. Being paranoid and predicting what will happen doesn't mean that you don't have the soul. And I think one of the things that could come around uh, as I sit on my hill watching the train and what direction it's going in is to your point here. I believe somebody is going to say very quickly, probably as a potential vote winner in the current climate, um, sport is a social asset. Um, it, sh- it should be treated like other uh, assets of what are called national importance. And unless bidders for sport can show a, a, a credible model of financial return, then we are not going to allow them to buy it. And this comes back to all of your points that Live is a shit product and doesn't have any plan, it seems, to be making a profit or any kind of return in the next five years. And, and, I, and I think that's going to be the big thing in sport. We're going to say you're not having it because it's a, a national importance, it's a social asset, uh, uh, it's a vote winner in all this world of uh, Islamophobia. And, and, you know, that's my prediction for what's coming in the next the next 18 months. Uh, politicians saying something like that. And, and if that happens, Eddie, maybe it'll go back to the way it always was and maybe just with a better leader than Jay Monaghan. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I thought about that and it reminds me a bit of 
the housing market, you know, part of me thinks, but wouldn't it be great if houses came down 50%? If policy started to reflect common sense, young people could afford houses. But then obviously that within that, there's a huge deflationary event. And that's, again, what's going to happen within the professional golf. If that happens, Roger, and I would fully support that because, frankly, golfers are still going to go and play for $2 million because it's still a great way of earning a living and it's a great sport and we're all passionate about it. It doesn't really matter that we're playing for 20 when we could still play for two. And the truth is two much more accurately reflects our value. And you could even make the argument still over, over attribute it, but I would love that to happen. And that's, that's the kind of destructive part of me. I want to see it blown up a bit. And, and, and a way of doing that, I do think, would be for policymakers to come in and regulate to that degree. But I also accept within that, there will just be prize funds will fall massively and there'll be some pain, but, but the pain will be relative. Well, it'll be, it'll be entirely superficial, frankly. And, and John Rahm's already got the bag. I mean, in three years' time, if John can make any bloody decision he wants. You know, he, he, he doesn't need any money in three years' time. So when John's contract is up and when Cameron Smith's contract is up, what they need to then encounter is a product that is different and is something that actually they want to be part of because they are not going to need the money. That's one thing we can all agree on. So um, that's the opportunity I think does exist right now. And the PGA Tour are going to have to swallow some losses and swallow some pride, but know that they have to create something that that – you know, all these guys want to be a part of moving forward and how that looks, I'm not sure. But but I do think there are there are people out there with visions in place of power. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. The only thing, the only issue I would take with that, Rog, what you just said is that, you know, golf isn't, golf isn't football. Golf is perceived as a rich man's game, even though it's not. It's perceived as a as a game you need access to. You, not everybody grows up hitting a golf ball around uh, the way they do kicking a football around. So I, I don't know how big a vote getter it is. Um, if you tell me that they might nationalise the Premier League, I could believe that. Golf, I'm just, I'm just not sure. I just don't think you, it's you, inclusive you, you enough. You think that if Donald Trump event. came up on the stump speech and said, "We are not going to let foreigners (brackets Arabs) uh, own uh, one of our uh, cultural mom and apple pie traditions," you not think that's getting him a couple of votes in swing states? You don't think so? Maybe, maybe. Well, maybe. Look, I, to me, I think Donald Trump being elected would be the best thing that could happen for Liv. Um, you know, I think the greater risk for Liv Golf is not it's a it's a re-election of Joe Biden or it's a it's a Democrat that really wants to go to town on these types of organize you know that type of thing. I think if Donald Trump gets in, then lives off to the races. I mean, obviously his links to the Saudis are pretty well known. Obviously, Alan Shipnock talks about them, and he'll do anything for some for some money. Obviously, no matter where it comes from. So uh, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could spit. Yeah. No, I'm not saying I'm a, a yeah, fan of him that's, that's at all. Fair. Yeah, no, but I think you know, coming back to the point you were saying about the sponsors, the sponsors. You know, if I if I was the CFO of any brand sponsoring golf just now, I, I would have a massive red line. There'd just be a three line whip out out as soon as possible. I'll let you go for the majors, um, but I am not having you sponsor an organisation. And this is the same for the media companies as well, the broadcasters, that is at risk every single week of losing star number three, uh, uh, six and seven from its pooling power uh, and creating a civil war. It's just, there's no, there's nothing in it for a sponsor. You know, get out as soon as you can to this, you know, civil war. That's that. There's nothing for you to be investing around apart from the majors, apart from the majors. Well, Wells Fargo pulled out this week, I think, didn't they? Is that right, Eddie? Did Wells Fargo pull out of uh, a sponsorship in the US? I think they did. I think I saw that, yeah. So, 
you know, I don't think they're the first as well. Um, and if you obviously, if you look at the funding of the, you know, the DP World Tour, it's become much more concentrated you know, to a larger extent. But it's, you know, it's become more concentrated over the years. And Keith's had to work. Well, Keith has had to, to work hard to get that. And his team have had to work hard to get that funding in, obviously. But at the same time, they've had to make some pretty... Uh, difficult decisions, whether it's selling the naming rights or, you know, with the, the agreement with the PJ Tour, which comes back comes with its drawbacks, you know. So, um, but yeah, the way the way it goes, I'm well, not I, sure. and Roger, I'd, I'd go a slightly different route. I would go after the 80 million people who do play golf. I'd be talking to the amateur golfers and uh, investing in products that allow you to talk directly to them rather than via the conduit of, of overpaid golfers. So uh, I still believe massively in the value of the sport Agreed. and the engagement of the sport sure. to people. Sponsor top golf all day long. Absolutely right. Spot on. We've got here uh, somebody who's right in the middle of this. It's not about business models anymore. It's not about Greg. It's not about um, Hendrik Stenson. It's, in my view about the people who are not in the live category of um, um, uh, appeal just now, who I'm concerned that they're not going to have a living. You know, at the end of the day, that, that that's what bothers me. And OK, I'm really pleased about Eddie's point because I didn't know that, that they had a two or three years where they could kind of still, still be OK. But, you know... Um, it's worrying because it's not just golf, it's everywhere. We spoke on the last podcast, Grant, uh, about what I thought would happen. It would be, there would be the majors, there would be the shiny stuff, which which includes Live for me and TGL, and then there would be a long tail. I, I really don't care about the others. Uh, you know, the majors will be fine. Live is a geopolitical place, got nothing to do with product. Um, we discussed that uh, about regulation. The long tail does interest me because Giles is right. There is a product there. There is a product. It's not a very rich product. It's what you would call a niche product. But somebody needs to work out what the definition of that, what it looks like and how it makes money for its touring professionals. That's my point, Grant. Well, you see, I have to say, Ed, and I, like you, I've, I've tried to think about this a lot. And I was trying to work out what I watch and why I watch it. The majors, for sure, I watch them for the history. I, you know the best in the game are going to be playing there. You know that there is a tradition that goes back, you know, hundreds of years and it's, it, they're important. But then I think about the other, the other events on the PGA Tour and I realise that I watch the events that are held on great golf courses. I watch the events that have a tradition about them, that, that, that winning them means something. So yes, the John Deere is always the one that gets brought up. I feel sorry for John Deere because they're always the one that gets brought up when we when you talk about kind of second level events. But, you know, Bay Hill and the Memorial and the uh, when they play at Riviera and when they play at Torrey Pines and when they play at all these great golf courses, I will watch because the course has status, the course has tradition. They tend to get better fields. And so for me... Uh, you know, I think my golfing experience, if you want to, if you want to keep me interested, you need to, you need to take the tour to great golf courses and you need to have the strongest fields you can muster. And, and honestly, I'm still going to watch the Memorial if John Rahm and uh, whoever, Patrick Canley, aren't competing for the lead. You know, I, the, 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 I told you this before, Rog, I tried to watch live when it got on the CW, I was in the States and it was up against, I think it was the Honda Classic in, in Florida, which I wouldn't ordinarily have watched. I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't understand watch that. I understand live. that. But, but at the same time, the Honda Classic was being fought by two 
complete nobodies that I didn't know. In fact, I think Brian, no, not Brian Gay, one of the guys I'd heard of and one of the guys I hadn't, Eric, can't think of his name now, but it was riveting. It was riveting to see golf being played, competitive, that meant something, on a course with a little bit of tradition. And that's, I think that's, you've still got a chance to capture an audience. What, what do you think about that, Ed? Um, well, I do too. I think that's obviously what draws a lot of people in and add to that as well, that a lot of people watch because they know somebody that's playing there. And of course, if, if, if the profession in and of itself only has 50 guys and not 200 guys playing within it, then there's, by definition, you've cut three quarters of the people that you could know. So, you know, you've, you've got that dynamic too. So that would pull a lot of eyeballs in, I suppose. Um, that being said, you know, I, I've, I, the most nervous I've ever been watching golf was watching Laurie trying to win at Wentworth two years ago, Laurie Cantor. Um, I didn't watch a, I haven't seen a single shot of him on live, uh, not once. I wouldn't tune in. Now, it's not because I don't want to see him play golf, but I'm still rooting for him, but just not on live because I have no desire to see anything on live golf. And, and I just don't think that I'm unique on that as either. So, to your, again, it goes back to that point that, that we are tuned to the to the history of the event, to the traditions, to the traditional tournaments, and and the inherent jeopardy that's in with professional golf that is unique to professional golf. People's, you know, I've actually had this discussion with you know, people like Laurie, and, and listen, we can have different opinions in terms of the protections that should be in place for people in terms of their jobs, but I've always thought professional golf, one of the alluring qualities of it was that it was so, you know, so unprotected, you're so vulnerable. I've been there myself, I've had great years and I've had lean years and years where you make a loss, and that builds so much character. We talk about it with cuts again. You know, there are just inherent, there's inherent jeopardy built into professional golf that makes it entirely unique, and I think breeds a ton of respect for professional golfers from people all around the world from different backgrounds because they understand that that must be difficult and frankly it is difficult i've been part of it so i I don't but i don't see why we want to change that we still get rewarded extremely well in spite of that so um you know that 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 movement this could be that could be a 21st century thing that was unavoidable and, and a millennial bloody thing and people wanted more protection and all this shit and that's maybe that was maybe always going to happen but uh, i i just think that the direction that the sport is headed in in a, in a number of factors is, is obviously disappointing but uh I, you know listen it's easy isn't it to, i'm i'm it could be dramatic and say it's this the end of it all but i'm sure it'll i'm sure the pendulum will swing at some point i hope it does anyway grant eddie you know the reason i can ask you this because as I, I know what you read and what you think and, 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 and you're a very intelligent guy. See what you've said there. I get that completely. I, I'm going to call it, I'm doing that on the, the Sunday column this week on, on exactly this, the, the band of brothers. I think that's what a golf tour uh, was. And, and that's how you perceive it. I believe for all the reasons you've said there, um, you know, uh, form may be temporary, but class and tradition is forever. Uh, and but my question to you is this: knowing what you know about how big finance works and the financial markets and the invisible hand of Adam Smith, and and how sport is linked to the media sector that's got its own issues with all of that, surely you must have seen this coming. I mean, I'm talking three, four years ago. Surely you must have seen that the forces of financial arbitrage would have ripped the top players away in some form. Well, uh, no, I, I'm not sure I saw live coming or something like live coming um, necessarily. You know, I, I, it's 
And there, I'm, I'm not sure that you may know that there may have been examples like this in the past. I'm sure there have been. I, I know that the, foot, the thing with football, the Super League, a couple of years ago was, I suppose, of similar ilk. Um, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't fully see that coming. Um, and you know, it's hard to account for the irrationality, the irrational behind the irrationality behind the numbers that are involved with live, right? I mean, you, it's hard to account for something like that. You know, you are you're putting professional golf up against a 2030 vision of a sovereign wealth fund that just happens to have because of the price of oil in the last couple of years exorbitant amounts in the bank now again that will change i remember we spoke about this on the last podcast the source of funding through time has changed and different countries come into different periods of wealth through the number of factors and i'm sure that this is part of obviously this is part of that um, the saudis know that they have to diversify a wave and this is one way of doing it but um yeah i i just yeah, you could have seen it coming, but I'm not really sure in a heart of hearts anyone could have seen it going to the length it's gone to um, with the numbers involved. I mean, they are just they're just totally astronomical. So um, and that would be the only thing I would defend Jay Monahan on is that no matter I think I think almost ir- irrespective of the strength of leader that was in place at the PGA Tour, there still would have been some bleeding because you've still got people like Phil Mickelson willing to take the bag Um and, and that's going to cause damage. And I don't think it mattered who was in charge at that point of the PJ Tour. There are still going to be some very greedy people who are going to take the money. And, um, you know, and Greg Norman, he's got a vendetta against the PJ Tour himself and he's spearheading the thing. So they're, um, you know, it's, it's pretty messy. Well, I, but, yeah. Listen, Eddie, uh, that's fair enough because Grant and I had a discussion the other day about the, 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 the predictability of all this and who should have seen it and which journalists in golf should have seen it when they didn't and they're now all super shocked. And um, maybe, maybe I'm harsh on that. But, you know, you put 2030, which <laughs> that has been out there for ages. You put that out with MBS you put it out with the way the media sector's going and moving all the way towards um, franchise-type things, even in Hollywood. And, and and it's almost a case of, tell me it's not going to happen. That, that for five years has been my line. Tell me why all these events aren't going to end up with every sport being ripped apart, most likely by Saudi money and certainly with Wall Street money. So I, I honestly, you know, I, I try and be as nice a guy as I can, but I can make no case for Jay Monaghan. No case whatsoever. That's fair enough, Rog. That's fair enough. But I, I, you know, the, one, the only thing I take issue there in that statement is, is this idea that you try and be the nicest guy you can. I, I've never seen any evidence of that. It's not true. <laughs> Wait till you see the article this Sunday. This is going to be a super nice. You'll be getting a, a, a hanky out when you read it, my friend. Oh, my God. Is it Christmas? Super it nice. must be Christmas. It's Christmas. That's exactly what oh it is, Giles. It's Christmas. That's exactly Dear what it is. God. Well, listen, uh, Ed, listen, thanks so much. We, we've kept you uh, a, a fair amount over what I thought we would, but thanks for doing this on short notice. Yeah, thank you. Your input is uh, way more important than any of ours. 100%. So thanks for giving us some credibility and having bringing a voice to the debate that actually has uh, a dog in the hunt. So thank you. No, it's always a pleasure, guys, anytime. Thank you, Eddie. Really right, thank you. Well, take care of yourself and uh, we'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Look forward to it. Thanks, Ed. All the best. See Cheers, you, boys. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you go, Phyllis. Uh, I don't know what to add to that, really. I mean, you know, Ed, Eddie is such a thoughtful guy and, um, you know, of all the people uh, kind of caught up in that world, knowing as I do, his the interest he takes in the forces outside the game of golf that are affecting it, 
I, I can't think of anybody better, frankly, to have that discussion with. Yeah, it's always brilliant to have um, have him on the show. And as you guys are both aware, I'm hoping in January or in February that I'll be able to um, invite a, a player who's joined Liv to join us on the show, perhaps to give another perspective of of life on the on the on the live tour and what it's like. Um, because I think whatever's happened in the Civil War, Roundhead or Cavalier, I think neither camp is as happy as they should be, despite the monies that have come in. I think there's a lot of discord. Yes, well, we shall, we shall look forward to that, Charlo. I hope we can pull that off, because it would be good to hear the other side, right? We haven't heard that side yet, and it will be useful both for us and for the audience. Hear that. Well, speak of the audience, our thanks to you out there for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. Um, we'll be back again in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, if you don't follow us already on social media, there's only one way to do that. You'll find us on Twitter at EntertainedR. That's the word A-R-E. You'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you'll find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, until next time. Thank you. Cheers, Thanks, fellas. James. Thank you. Thank you.